What's up? And welcome to the very best self podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. All right, all right, all right. Today is a very special interview, and I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because it's one of my longer episodes, and because there's just so much value in this episode. There's so much that I feel like you're going to want a pen and paper to write down uh, within this episode. Uh, I have Dr. Mal on today. She is a functional medicine doctor, and she is specifically trained to deal with stress management. And I know that not some of us deal with stress, but all of us deal with stress. And so if you find yourself, you know, in the overwhelm, you find yourself feeling stuck, you find yourself going through, you know, a difficult time in your life, or you feel stress even on the most you know, acute level. Uh, this episode is going to be for you. It's going to be for anyone and everyone out there. Uh, and there's lots of tips and tricks coming your way on how to cope with your own stress. So without uh, talking too much more about it, we'll just get right into this thing. Here we go. Welcome back to the Very Best Self Podcast. We're here today. I am really, really looking forward to this conversation uh, with Dr. Mal. We've got another one of my favorite Canadians in the house. So I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to this. I can't wait to connect. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to have you on the show for so many reasons, but I think mostly because so much of what you talk about and so much of what you specialize in are all things that I am like super interested in as well and like care so deeply about. Uh, and so specifically, you are a functional medicine doctor uh, who focuses primarily on psychology and stress hormones. So we're going to talk a lot about stress today. Um, definitely a familiar word for a lot of people. And a lot of people obviously experience stress to many different degrees. Uh, but we're going to dive kind of really deep into stress. And I'm, I'm just so looking forward to getting your expert opinion on stress and how to manage it and how to get ahead of it and how to not feel it, you know, the weight of stress so heavily all the time. Absolutely. I'm so looking forward to it. I basically, um, it just comes down to that. I love teaching people, uh, inherent tools that they have, that they can influence and disarm the stress response because it's a hormone it's happening in our body. And we have a lot more influence over it than we think. Already. I feel less stressed. <laughs> I mean, it is true, right? It's a mindset always. Everything boils down to a mindset. 100%. And either your stress, you know, takes over or you somehow get some sort of control over stress. And so I'd love for you to share lots of, you know, tips and tricks that you have around managing stress. And, and you know, primarily, I think people... I mean, stress comes from every angle. It comes from family life. It comes from relationships. It comes from friendships. It comes from, you know, all sorts of different places. Uh, so what are some of your tips and tricks for managing stress? Absolutely. And first, you're absolutely right. Like stress is a human experience. It, and it also is a hormone that happens in the body. And its simplest form is that stress is applying pressure to our lives. 
in so many cases, stress gets a bad rap in the sense that it feels though, as though it's solely negative or we only identify things that are bad or, or incredibly pressure filled to be stressful in our lives. But real reality is that stress and cortisol and the stress response is what it motivates us. It propels us. It has evolved us out of caves. And so what happens is that this becomes detrimental when it's consistent and relentless. And then we start to see physical symptoms over time and we start to feel a sense of uneasiness. We start to um, try and control everything in our environment. We feel apprehension. We feel worry. We feel overwhelmed. We feel burnt out. And so that piece of it is how do we recognize the pain of our stressors, which is real and valid and requires honoring versus how do we identify the suffering that we tend to put us ourselves through and the rumination of our minds, which can really be the factor that wears us down. And so I want to go over some ideas that you can play around with and toy around with that your body responds very quickly. Okay. We love that. We love when our body can respond very quickly. So there's like a way to get out of it. I first want to unpack that you, where where you started, which is Mm -hmm. that a certain amount of stress is actually good. Not all stress is bad. Yeah, absolutely. Stress is stress is a hormone that is the reason that we wake up in the morning. Stress is the hormone that offsets melatonin to wake us up in the morning and get us up and get us going. It it allows us to feel motivated and to feel a sense of pressure. Like the Olympics are going on right now. There is floods of cortisol and adrenaline moving through Tokyo right now, and it is advantageous to men to a degree. Um, and so cortisol is something that is designed in the human body to be, to be our advantage. And so it's, how do we recognize when it is going south? How do we recognize when we are losing control over it? How do we recognize when it becomes a conditioned response and how do we gain a sense of autonomy back? And it comes down to understanding a couple components of how the brain actually works, how the mind works, how the stress response works so that it's not just something that you're a victim of. It's something that you start to recognize that your mind and your body is trying to protect you, but you ultimately have the power. I love that. It's, it's our choice and how we manage the stress and how we cope with our stress that either puts us in a position to be a victim or a victor, right? So you either let it control you or you control it. Absolutely. And so what are some ways that we can recognize mm-hmm. when it's happening and bubbling over in a way that is like super not helpful to getting through our day in you know the best way possible? Yeah. I think um, to set a foundation, it's really important to identify that the human mind, the human brain, I guess you could say, is designed to survive. It's not designed to thrive. And so what I mean by that is like, if you think of a grain of sand, like the the surface area of a grain of sand, there's about a hundred thousand neurons in that surface area in the brain and about a billion connections. And there's 7 million years of evolution that has happened in between. And so the brain is actually designed more than really anything else is designed to create a sense of safety and create a sense of efficiency because there's so much going on. So shortcuts and safety is what matters. And so there are a few significant downfalls when it comes to the stress response, when it comes to sort of the human design that I find it really helpful to identify because it, it takes it out of your experience. 
it's like, this is how that it's designed versus this is my, this is just me. And so first of all, there's something that's called a negativity bias. So Victoria, if I told you a thousand compliments and one criticism, what do you remember? <laughs> the criticism. Right? So we're designed to hold on to remember and consolidate, which means like to store negative information a lot more than positive information or comfortable information or compliments or whatever it may be. So it's designed for a negativity bias. So we, it's easy for us to filter painful memories and to remember in vivid detail than it is to sort of access pleasurable memories. So that's one. And we'll, we'll pull back into it. I just want to set a couple little tidbits You're so that it makes sense when we leave. Because I feel like I have so many friends and people around me, uh, family members that I feel like they're just, ne they're negative all the time. And they're like, always like, woe is me. And I'm like, in my mind, it's very easy for me to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to focus on the negative because it just allows me to live and sit in that space that is not helpful to anyone around me yeah. or myself. Um, but I know that it's not easy, that easy for everybody. So anyways, sorry to interrupt you, but no. I'm just like, I, I specifically deal with that with some of my closest family members whom I love just dearly. And, and it's a woe is me kind of mentality. And it's, it's really is cherry picking those negative feelings, those negative emotions, and just acting like that is the only thing that, that they have going on. Absolutely. And the differentiating factor that you said, which you didn't even realize you said, is that you pull in awareness. So you recognize the patterns and you're like, but I like to focus. Like you actually, it's like you used it as in terms of like, you have autonomy over your focus. Whereas mm -hmm. individuals, the, like the factory setting is very easy to be quite critical. And the reason for that being is that a lot of people condition themselves into thinking that they can prevent a fearful future by being critical. And what it does is it creates this idea of psychological safety. I'm safer if I'm prepared. Mm -hmm. And they're, what they're actually trying to prepare around is a scary future because what has happened in the past is scary. And so the baseline, the sort of the default setting is holding on to negative information. It's the very nature of the news cycle. If the news cycle was all just really positive, incredibly heartfelt stories, which would be amazing, it wouldn't gain traction like it would if it was negative. So that's right. a, that's that's one of the downfalls. It, in a, in a, in a sense, it's it's for survival. So it's not necessarily a downfall. I mean, in a downfall in the sense of thriving versus surviving. The second is there's little experience to the mind between a lived experience and a thought experience, and so. Uh, I know a lot about this one. I, I think I do anyways, but this, yes. let me just say, is this the difference between facts and feelings? Yes. Yeah. So there's very, okay. that that's a branch of that for sure. But for instance, I'll tell you, like there's um, a doc, Dr. Richardson, I think it's in Australia. He had a basketball team and for the summer they had 30 days where they broke them up into three sections. One sat at home, did nothing. Um, one group from the team did free throws 20 minutes a day. Uh, for 30 days and another group visualized doing 20 minutes of free throws a day. There was only 1% difference in the improvement between the visualization and the active group. There was a decline in, in performance for the group that just stayed home. So the brain doesn't, it takes thoughts as directions often. 
It's blind. Think of it as blind. Think of the stress response system as blind. How we are perceiving situations, how we are speaking to ourselves, how we are creating a narrative around circumstance is what the stress response responds to. Right. So that's one of the downfalls. And one of the other blind spots, um, particularly the stress response, is that there's very little distinction between the past, the present, and the future for the mind and the brain. And so our mind can very easily, if left to its own devices, will dwell on things that have occurred that it no longer has influence over or project a future that it feels like it has control over and, and trying to fix problems of the future that don't even exist or trying to resolve or correct problems of the past that it no longer has access to. So it likes to bounce back and forth versus the present. If there's no immediate threat, there's no reason to be there. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Because so many of us, we deal with stress, we deal with anxiety. And the reason that stress and anxiety show up is because we put our present thoughts into the future, or we're, like you said, dwelling on things that have happened in the past, things that have happened 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago, whatever. Uh, And none of that is actually what's happening in this exact very moment oftentimes. Uh, and so I, I love that. And, and also specifically, um, I love that we, you know, we narrate our own thoughts. And so, Mm -hmm. so often we forget that we are actually in the driver's seat. We forget that we are the pilot. We are the ones who are in control of our, of our own thoughts. And we forget that. And it's like, okay, so in any given moment, are you choosing to either build yourself up or break yourself down when it comes to self-confidence, right? Or mm-hmm. when it comes to a goal or something you want to achieve in your life, are you telling yourself all of the reasons why you can do something? Or are you telling yourself all of the reasons why you can't do something? It's like, you know, I have with my life coaching clients, a lot of times I, I, I describe it in, in such a way that we're all detectives, right? And so you're building mm-hmm. your case. And so what case are you going to build? right? You, you, you stack the evidence in one way or the other, right? And so I guess if you're leaning into a negative bias, then you maybe, maybe subconsciously, maybe you don't even realize you're doing it, but subconsciously, if you are someone who is leaning towards that negative bias, then you are playing detective and choosing to fill that category of all the reasons why you can't do something. Instead of being like, fuck that, Mm -hmm. like, right. Actually, I can choose to to tell myself all the reasons why I can. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you say that because you're so right. And oftentimes the patterns that we live within are not our own. They're learned patterns from the past. And so you mentioned that there's some close family members that have that sort of negativity bias. It would be very, very easy for you and understandable for you to adopt that. But with proper awareness, with proper intention, with this, this understanding... And decision, you said the magic word, to decide this isn't mm-hmm. going to be me. It changes everything. And so even in the context of the stress response, like when you think about stress isn't circumstance. And what I mean by that is that if that were the case, we could have a hundred people go through the same thing and, and anticipate that they would react the exact same way. But that's not the case. To me, stress is actually circumstance. It's like an equation, circumstance plus our perception. If I told you right now, this morning you woke up, Vic, and you opened your eyes and you coughed, what would you think? I should probably drink a glass of water. Okay, that's good. That means you're in check. 
most like that means that sort of you're aware of it. Most times when I say, if you wake up in the morning, you have a cough. Most times people be like, oh shit, it's COVID. So what their mind does is it gathers all this information that's relevant to a cough from the past and projects a fearful future. So we're usually taking moments and tidbits of information, like these tiny nuances in our lives, and we don't realize that what we're doing is we're creating a story about what it means. And what we generally respond to is the meaning that we give circumstances. And so we don't react to the cough. We react to the story that we had about the cough. And our mind does this rapid fire of what does this mean? What do I have to do? When realistically, we have to pull it back to the facts. Because our mind loves story. If you're studying for an exam, make stories out of it. Make songs out of it. We hold on to stories. Stories passed down through generation. If you had to remember sort of these rote tasks or facts, it's very difficult. If you put it into a story, you can remember it. Our minds love stories. And so it operates from a state of story. And so oftentimes what we don't realize is that the meaning that we attach to it, someone can be out, say your partner or child or loved one or whoever is out and they're supposed to be home at seven and it's seven fifteen, and they're not home. And you're kind of like, Oh, weird. And you call their phone. It's dead. That's strange. Seven thirty rolls around. You sort of think about it again. They're not home. And a thought came into your mind that was threatening or scary. And all of a sudden your entire bodily response changes. The only difference is, is that the, in terms of time, it was 90 seconds later or 90 seconds between the time when you're like, Oh, weird. They're late to, Oh my God, something's wrong but how we perceived it and the meaning that we attached to it and our body, the mind, the stress response is blind. It's taking your thoughts as direction. It's always trying to protect you. It's always trying to think of it as like a loyal dog. If things are scary, it's going to make you hypervigilant. If you're not feeling safe, it's going to make you anxious because it's trying to prevent a scary future. Wow. Yeah. The mind just will keep us safe at all costs. A hundred percent. And one of the interesting things, and I find this to just be like, just such an interesting component of life is that humans are always trying to create a state of certainty. We love feeling in control. We love feeling like we can predict what's going to happen. We love feeling prepared. We love feeling like we know what's going to do, what's going to happen. We know, um, how to anticipate and to navigate the future or a circumstance. But one of the very, very simple truths about life is that the very nature of life is uncertain. We do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next year. Probably we don't know what's going to happen in the next, you know, 30 minutes. We can anticipate and guess, and the mind loves doing that because it tries to create a sense of certainty. But the very nature is that it is uncertain. And so we we're in these sort of human bodies that are always trying to create certainty and we live in a container of uncertainty. So there's such a, a resistance and a friction to where we are. So we're trying to manipulate, we're trying to influence and control our environment. We're trying to influence and control relationships and people and circumstance and physical environments to reduce our stress. We're trying to influence an environment and control it so that we can feel a sense of certainty so that we can allow ourselves to feel okay. And that 
constant state of resistance is what eventually causes symptoms of a stress hormone imbalance, which are things like fatigue, poor stamina, hitting a wall in the afternoon, cravings for carbs and sugar, feeling reactive in, in conversations, not responsive. Your mind is constantly going. There's no off button. Um, a feeling of overwhelm, almost like if anything else comes on my plate, the plate's going to break and feeling like you can't tolerate personally. What's that? I personally feel that all the time. Yeah. I feel, I feel, I don't even, I feel a constant state of overwhelm at all times. And I don't know how to, because I'm not someone who fills up the negative category, but I just have so, my aspirations I feel like are so big and I have so many things I want to do and so many people I want to help and so many things I want to create. So there just isn't, I feel like a lot of times time for all of that to happen. And it is true. Like I'm trying to control it all. Um, but I, I can't think of one thing I want to take off the plate. So it's like, I just continue on this way. And I'm sure there's people out there who feel the same way. Absolutely. And the interesting thing about, and I know this is a podcast, so we don't have to, we can, don't have to go any direction, but the interesting thing about it is that, um, you're right. Ambitions, dreams, desires, um, what you want to do requires cortisol. Highly motivated individuals have a shit ton of cortisol. Like Andre de has a ton of cortisol in his system on the starting lineup. Someone mm. in a corner having a panic attack could very well have the equivalent level in their system, but it's, mm-hmm. it's perceived differently. Now, the difference is, is that if you're, it's designed as an on-off button, if it is constantly on this unrelenting level of on, it doesn't have any opportunity to be off. And that's when we start to see some of those symptoms. Now, the interesting thing about what you were saying in the sense of um, sort of pushing towards your goals and always feeling really driven and having so many things that you want to do and pushing yourself, it's that your stress response it, it is there for you and it wants to push you and it wants to be there and it wants to fulfill everything that you want. But in some respects, it wants to know that it's okay today. It's okay that we got this done today and not constantly yeah. being in the future because we're, we're always on our heels when we're constantly in the future. And the interesting thing about dopamine, which is the motivation hormone, is that dopamine is secreted most in the journey. So when we're actually doing something, when we're in a, in working towards something, have you ever achieved a goal and just jumped to the next thing? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right. And so the interesting thing is that the hormone that is allowing you to feel really, really motivated is secreted when you're working toward the goal and it actually right. starts to decline when we achieve a goal. And so we crave that high by jumping to something else. Dopamine and the stress response is it's inviting you to enjoy working toward it and therefore you will have more of it. And it's not a stressor to be pushing towards your goals because so many of us, what do you think? This is a, a, this is a little bit off topic and I didn't plan on going in this direction, but I'm just curious about what your thoughts are on finding this dopamine in a way that is not natural. So for instance, uh, people who take Adderall or, you know, these ADD medications, a lot of times I think there's people who are prescribed to these kind of medications and maybe they definitely need them. But 
and this is an overshare. I think, you know, for me, when I was in college, I felt like I had to take an Adderall a lot of times to focus to, Mm -hmm. and it gives you this false sense of dopamine hit. Right. And I was at a certain point, I was like, this is not right. This is not healthy. This is false. And Mm -hmm. I completely like swore off, swore off them completely. Um, But I think that there's a lot of people who take them so they can get more done or, you know, it's like a, a big time thing in co- for college kids. Um, and you certainly get this like spike in dopamine levels. So I'm curious about what your opinion is around that. So first of all, a hundred percent, thanks so much for sharing a hundred percent that we do get these sort of performance enhancements by, it could be caffeine, it could be Adderall, it could be whatever it may be. One Two things. One is knowing yourself is huge. So you mentioned individuals have to take this medication, ADD, ADHD. They're highly passionate, usually multi-passionate. Their focus is dependent upon um, what their interest is. Their focus follows their interest. If that is who you are, knowing that about yourself is massive, which means that when you feel pushed into boxes that don't fit, you're designed to not even see a box. So pushing yourself in a direction that feels like it's not meant for you is going against your design. And if you have to use strategies to help yourself focus because it's a means to an end, like you actually have to figure out a way to get through a set of exams that you're not highly interested in, but you really want you to finish this program, then working with how you actually are designed how do you how do you design your time best? Is it that you're pushing yourself because you're actually not passionate and interested in focus because it's just not for you? So knowing yourself is huge. And that is a superpower because individuals that have trouble focusing, it's not that they have trouble focusing, in my opinion. They they actually are superpowers with focus when it's right for them, when it's basically aligned with who they are and they have a massive level of interest towards it. Steve Jobs, actually, there's an interview with Steve Jobs where he actually says that exact exact thing now that I'm thinking of it. He says, you have to find what it is that you're crazy passionate about, insanely passionate about it, about because if you don't and you try to pretend, eventually you'll quit that thing and you won't exactly. quit because there's something wrong with you. You'll quit because you're a normal human being. Exactly. And I think that's the part because when we try and override and over, when we try and like push ourselves so, so hard, we often get cortisol stress hormone is a focus hormone. So cortisol like focuses on these tiny, minute details, whereas creativity and expansiveness is this broad sort of like overall encompassing, abundant, sort of allowing your mind to flow states. So when we are over, when we're trying to override our natural design and we're trying to hyper-focus and we're trying to push, oftentimes we can get so distracted on the push that we lose sight that we don't even want it in the first place, mm-hmm. that we don't even remember what we're fighting for. And if you pull back and remember and realize like, no, 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 I still want this. This is what I'm fighting for, but how I'm doing it isn't working. It's not sustainable. And that's when some of the strategies that we can chat about to know yourself better, know, find patterns, stress hormones, hormones in general, the work that I do, it's pattern recognition. Everything begins with awareness. Step one of everything is awareness. There's no step two without awareness. 
And so if you feel as though you're stuck right now, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like you have to take a lot of additional measures to override how you feel, that is the blind spot. That's the gift. It's not finding ways around it or through it. It's recognizing what does this mean? Wow. Okay. Recognizing what does this mean? I think my adolescent mind, you know, didn't, it wasn't fully developed in college to, to lean on strategies of how to find awareness and strategies to cope with stress and all these strategies you mentioned, uh, because I, I just was looking for a quick fix and something easy. So, you know, I'd love for you to go into what those strategies are to know ourselves better. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. And oftentimes we put a lot of our worth into what we can produce. Like if we were praised for what we could produce when we were growing up, like, oh my God, you got the gold or you got first or you got a really good grade. So that's amazing. Good job. That becomes our identity. it does, it does conform our identity. And and now as adults, I think a lot of our, a lot of us, like our worthiness stems from how many things we can check off our to-do list every day. hundred percent. And there's no and, power in that. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I mean, there's quick power, but there's not long lasting power. Right. There's a hit of, there's a hit of satisfaction, but at the same time, it just starts all over again the next day. And so I think it, part of it is teasing right. apart what you're capable of and what you actually produce is very different from who you actually are. And so I, I, like it, grades, what you get as a grade doesn't matter. Your worth is the same. How, what you look like, wh- how you perform, what kind of relationships happen, your value doesn't change. And I think oftentimes we're running towards trying to feel good enough and we can get burnt out running because you just, it's not found there. And so one of the things, the biggest thing with the the stress response is that our thoughts are incredibly powerful. And I wish, like you mentioned in a university student, like I wish I knew this when I was like 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, if I explained right now, if I was like, okay, close your eyes, pretend you're going to a fridge, you see a lemon, you take it over to your cabinet, your cabinet, your counter, you slice it open and you lick it, you salivate. So the thought of licking a lemon can induce a biological response in your body to salivate. And so thoughts oftentimes, and I mean often just to not be so specific with 100%, thoughts are directions. And the language that we use, how we frame our situation, how we speak to ourselves is everything. And thoughts are not your truths. Thoughts lie to us. Oftentimes thoughts are very repetitive. They're remember the brain's designed for efficiency. If you have a thought a thousand times a month, it's going to be a really quickly accessed thought. And so self-criticism, remember negativity is so easily found, um, for safety of the brain and safety of the mind. So if you're incredibly self-critical, if you are, um, someone that is really easily accesses negative thoughts, about yourself, about your circumstance, then it's there waiting for you. It's there trying to protect you and trying to help you push, uh, push and keep pushing forward. But how you speak to yourself, how tuning in, how do you speak to yourself, the stories and the narrative and the meaning that you surround circumstance. We oftentimes, when we put a narrative and we, um, we feel like we're, it's out of our own control, that narrative sort of locks in the stress response and we feel like we are a victim of our circumstance. So we just have to take it and tolerate it when realistically we forget that we are the ones thinking the thoughts. We are the ones 
putting the words together into units of thought, which inform our emotions and dictate our behavior. And so the first step of the stress response is not that it's happening to you. It's happening for you in the sense that what's going on, what are you telling yourself? And if you have a hard time tuning into your narrative, write it out. If there's something that's bothering you, write it out. Cause usually what happens is that we can write it out because we have intention when we're writing, we have to focus and, and hand movement and eye coordination. So write it out. What's bothering you, write it out. And then circle words, circle words that are you... very, very restricting circle. Can't mm. circle should, shouldn't, Right, wrong, good, bad. Um, those are all words that are very, very confining. And so you can find your own blind spots by just being aware of some patterns. And oftentimes what we can do is we can identify some repetitive patterns. And the more you identify it, the more it becomes just a fucking thought. It's just a thought. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean you have to do anything about it. It doesn't mean that who you are is somehow compromised now. It is just a thought. And it's not about delusional thinking. It's not about positive thinking. In the stress response, it's about knowing that the power that you have, you're using it already. Oftentimes you just don't know that we're using it and pulling it back into factual thoughts versus the sort of the autopilot of usually negative and usually critical um, thoughts of ourselves and just tuning into it, being like, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. So what about, I love all of that, but what about when, you know, something that you're experiencing is just really hard in the moment? For instance, mm -hmm. you know, my, I'll just give my... <laughs> with her blessing, hopefully my baby sister, uh, as an example right now, she just broke her foot. Uh, and so she's a nurse, she's on her feet all day at work. And now she's kind of in this place where she's like completely stuck laying on the couch at home, trying to, she just had surgery, rest her foot. And she's been through this circumstance before because she's broken the other foot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just see her, it breaks my heart because she's going through this right now and I want to see her happy, but she's got to heal. Um, and so for anyone who's going through something that feels like it's very final in that moment, like you can't get up off the couch, you can't go anywhere, you can't go to work, you can't really hang out with friends, it's the middle of the summer, you got a boot on your foot, you know, what do you, for anyone going through anything that feels that way, like it's so constricting, like how do you, it's not about, I don't think it's necessarily from what I understand you're saying, it's not about necessarily finding a positive mindset about it. It's not. Because no. that's what most people say or the advice that most people give, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what's the positive, what's the silver lining. Um, mm -hmm. And there isn't a whole lot of, of positive in what she's personally experiencing. And maybe other people find themselves in that same place where they can't find the positive. But how do you, how do you get through it? How do you get to the other side? hundred um, percent. I'm sorry to hear about your sister. And yeah, you're right there. There are times when anxiety is just sort of like the, the false alarm going off. It's like the the fire alarm out of batteries. It's just beeping for no reason. And there are other times where the alarm is real and it is scary and things have changed and um, life has had to pivot and been forced to stop. And so in that, in, in that context, yes, you can ask yourself, is it true that like rather than sort of expanding on what it means in this very existential way. But is it true that I broke my foot? Yes. What is the story that I'm telling myself about my foot being broken? 
Um, and then what is real? So, and you can move through it and you, you mentioned the absolute, like the secret sauce of the stress response, the secret sauce of stress management in my perspective is understanding that navigating life is hard. It's messy. It's, we can be scared. We can be overwhelmed and it's okay. We're designed to have a broad emotional reaction to life and a broad emotional experience to life. And you alluded to the idea of toxic positivity, where we feel as though we're, we have to feel positive emotions, despite what we're going through in all facets of what we're going through. And so in the first context, I would say is to feel it. Like when we filter our experience through only feeling positive, what we do is that we avoid difficult conversations. We avoid the bad news. We avoid pain. We avoid others' pain. We avoid the real experience. And so one thing that I've learned and one thing I've learned in my practice is that you can't, you can't outrun pain. It isn't about just feeling positive despite, because oftentimes we're led to believe that positive emotions. And when I say positive emotions, I feel, I mean, I mean like comfortable emotions because there's no good or bad emotions. Comfortable emotions are things like we can universally say like joy and peace and happiness and safety and a feeling of safety and a, a sense of security are all comfortable, easily accessed. And what I mean is that they're easily experienced when they're felt, uh, emotions. And so what happens is that we usually are led to believe by society, culturally, through our families, our upbringing, school, whatever it is, it usually we're led to believe that there are good and bad emotions, not comfortable and uncomfortable. And so we are only meant to feel those positive, easily accessed, comfortable emotions, joy, happiness, peace, contentment. And we are not allowed to feel the more uncomfortable emotions, so overwhelm, fear, anxiety, apprehension, vulnerability, whatever it may be. And so when we're left to that, that's all that we're allowed to feel. It, it means that we're only designed to feel the comfortable emotions and everything else has to be fixed. So if you broke your foot and you're at home and you're feeling terrible and you are mourning the loss of what you thought the next two months are going to look like, that's okay. That's human of you. That's very human of you. And so avoiding that and trying to override that, it robs ourselves of our own humanity and the fullness of our expression and what's meant to be. But the beautiful thing about emotions is that emotions are transient. The word emotion is energy and motion, emotion, which means they're meant to move. They're meant to be felt. They're meant to be experienced. They're meant to move. And so oftentimes it's not resisting the experience. It's feeling into the experience that gets you through to the other side, because there are, there isn't a right or wrong way to feel. It's not that you're meant to be positive and have a quote unquote good attitude about life, because sometimes it's really shit. It's just shit. <laughs> And you're going yep. through something and it is hard and it is allowed to be hard and is a, you're allowed to feel the way you want to feel and not want to feel the way that you feel, period. And oftentimes the strategies are used when you move through that emotional experience and you embrace it and you lean into it and you feel it and you honor it. And then the strategies for, okay, what now? 
happen. It's not like, okay, chin up buttercup. You could read 15 books. If you're not there and you're resisting the experience and it's shit and someone is trying to give you advice or try to fix your emotion, they're operating from the idea that because you feel bad, I have to fix it. Not that you feel bad, you're allowed to. Yeah. So I guess it's just reminding yourself that what you're going through, um, like it's a fact, it's happening and you're here and just continuing to move through it as it comes. Absolutely. And that sense of resilience is a byproduct of feeling it all. Denial and pain is a byproduct of the positivity bias and feeling it and leaning into it and acknowledging it is what gets you through to the other side. And usually it is actually quite quick. It's very, very, that quick experience. It's our resistance to, we hold on to negative emotions unintentionally when we resist them. And, and so all that we, does is have, give the negative, the negative feeling staying power. Right. Right. And so when we allow ourselves and one other, another sort of little tip is that when we identify our emotions, emotions are felt as physical symptoms in the body. So physical symptoms in the body. If I said that my face was turning red and my muscles were clenching nine times out of 10 people are like, Oh, that sounds like anger. If I said my head is down and my heart, like, I feel like my, my, like my chest is heavy. That could be sadness. And so they're felt as physical emotions in the body. And so moving through it can look like identifying I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling, um, disappointed. I'm feeling frustrated and identifying it because it's felt in the physical body. It's disconnected from our thoughts often. And so identifying our emotions is actually a way to create what's called brain coherence. So if you identify you're angry, if you identify that you're frustrated, it can actually help move that emotion because there's a part of your brain that sort of connects the dots for you and it helps you alleviate and move those symptoms through. It's the resistance to it and the, the ignoring and the distraction of it, trying to constantly distract ourselves from it and that avoidance of it that can perpetuate. It's like a compass. It's like our emotions are our navigation. When we bust half the navigation system, it still goes. It's still in the background. We're just not identifying it and we're not able to move through it. Wow. I love that. I think that's really, really, really amazing advice. Um, so I, I thank you for sharing that. And and I hope that it helps anyone out there who's experiencing, experiencing any of those kind of emotions and doesn't quite know how to get through it. Um, and, and so I want to be mindful of your time, but I did want to, you know, touch on one last thing, which is, you know, it's funny because you are actually the person who the first person I ever heard about this from. Um, and it's, I feel like in, in recent, uh, you know, years or so it's, uh, really taken flight on the internet, uh, as something that people, a hot button topic that people talk about quite often now, um, which is toxic positivity and, we talked already a little bit about it, which is the, you know, what toxic positivity is, is filtering through our emotions and telling ourselves that everything needs to be a positive emotion. But in terms of, and that there's somehow something wrong with us or we're broken if we feel negative emotion. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go into toxic positivity as it pertains to things that you see on Instagram mm -hmm. and how they make you feel 
specifically, you know, captions that people write or things that people do and, and uh, how to really understand how to how to pick it out and see it when it's happening as you're scrolling through Instagram, and an influencer or someone you follow is posting content that is toxically positive. How can we see that identify it quickly and be like, Oh, I'm not going to consume that in this in in the way that they want me to consume it because I see right through it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're right. And so the interesting thing you're Instagram and social media is sort of this like massive social experiment that all of a sudden humans have the ability to filter and project what their lives look like. And so I think the awareness of knowing that people have the power to filter and to influence and to curate and create a perception of what their life looks like is huge to know that it is curated. There is no curated feed that could ever be compared to a real life that is hard and messy. And so I think um, the experience of toxic positivity is one of that is very confining. And so it's exactly what you mentioned. It, it's, it insinuates that there's a right and a wrong way to feel. And so if you are consuming information, now remember, we're, we're, it's easy to be self-critical with ourselves. It's easy to remember negative information. When you are consuming someone's information online or social media, or you are, you filtered your followers and following to, or people that you follow into something that is really inauthentic. It's really catered to elevating their experience and their projection of what you, they want you to experience of them then you know that if it's only one way, if the, if individuals are only trying to make you feel as though their life is perfect, as though everything is great, they're always happy, they're always content, they're never upset, one, know that it is curated. It is impossible for anyone to feel all of that all the time. So know that it is curated. Another thing is that social media is not, your triggers are your own. And what I mean by that is that watching a story or watching, seeing a post that triggers you, if it triggers you about, um, if you're looking at a post and you feel bad about your body, let's say your triggers are in that context yours. And so it's an opportunity for you to actually feel and lean into your blind spot. Like what's here for me? Why does this picture of someone I don't even know trigger negative thoughts in my mind? Are they true? And then you can use some of the strategies. Are they true? But toxic positivity is when you feel as though the world is confining in the sense that you're only allowed to experience it one way. You're only allowed to communicate, express yourself one way. You're only allowed to project your experience of the world in one way. And that is often very time, often just the comfortable experience, the emotions. So if you are consuming social media and you are feeling self-critical and you are feeling like you're not naturally comparing yourself One, recognize that you are looking at a photo of someone you probably don't know, and it is creating a full-blown psychological and biological response in you. What does that mean? Where do you, what do you have to unpack here? So one, it will reveal blind spots. Two, it's curated. It's bullshit. 
it's real, but it's edited in the sense that it's, it's a piece of someone's real life, but it's not everything. So if you're comparing a hundred percent of your real life to 20% of their curated one, it's not a comparable place to be. You're not comparing apples to apples here. And so when you feel as though you're surrounding yourself with people, you are only able to edit yourself. You, you have to edit yourself in conversations. You, you have to be somebody that puts on the mask, puts on the armor, puts on the show. Then you are living in a place of toxic positivity. That could be on you in the sense that you've adapted this way to feel comfortable and it's not anyone's fault. Can't really place fault anyway, but that's a whole other story. Or it's your selection of who you're surrounding yourself with. If you can't be real and raw with somebody, you can't be in a relationship long-term with somebody. Right. And so I think it's on you to start recognizing what do you feel is allowable and what in your environment is perpetuating that. Wow. Yeah. And I think that was the, the, the best line of, of this entire episode, which is why we are comparing 100% of our real lives with 20% of someone's curated life. Yeah. And it's, we're designed to compare. Whoa. And that's why I love when people know some of these tidbits about how we're designed, because when you know it, it takes it out of your experience. There's nothing wrong with you. You are a human having a human experience with a lot of autonomy and power. And of course we are falling victim to these patterns and these traps because we are human. When we are feeling overwhelmed, when we are feeling completely defeated, when we don't know if we can go on and we don't know how to say something and we're terrified if we don't please everybody, then we're not good enough. And what will people think of me? If that's the narrative that's going on constantly, your access to freedom is through that. It's not because it's when we confine ourselves to who we think we're supposed to be, we never really get to experience who we are. And there's a lot of things in our environment that operate off of you thinking that you should be something else. And so the stress response, the more you know yourself, the more you can actually identify patterns from a toxic positivity, the more you feel confined by having to be a certain way, show up a certain way, say a certain, say things a certain way, and you can't be real and authentic. And even to yourself, like how often do people say like, I don't even know who I am which means that you've been putting on the mask so long, you don't even remember who you were before it. That's a really, really amazing place to start. Like a really amazing place to start. When people come to me, they're like, I feel like I've hit rock bottom. Great. Now what, now what do we want to do? Oftentimes people really have a huge pivotal moments when they feel overwhelmed and defeated and they feel like they're hitting rock bottom, but that's when things start to break open. And so the stress response um, when it comes down to it, your narrative, how you use your language, how you frame your thoughts, how you perceive in the stories that you create or situations are what you're reacting to outside of a crisis. A crisis, that's what it's designed for. It overrides everything else outside of a crisis in the every day-to-day anxieties, overwhelm. How are you framing your situation? Emotions, what are you not allowing yourself to feel? Who are you not allowing yourself to be? Because the stress response is trying to override the resistance that you're trying to put, that you're putting in your life. We, we try to override the suffering that we place ourselves through as a consequence of our pain. So who are you really? And what are you trying to override on a regular basis? And from a, and toxic positivity, who are you surrounding yourself with? 
Remember, the stress response is blind. It takes information from the outside in. Your thoughts, your emotions or physical experiences in the body, symptoms, who you surround yourself with, what the beliefs and what they are talking about. Are you, do you allow yourselves to have challenging conversations? Do you open yourself up to new ideas? Um, just that awareness. What are your patterns? And then from a really, really quick, because I want to say these two little tidbits because they can be really powerful if you don't know where to start. One, the most um, unrelenting, consistent feedback that we give the stress response all the time is our breathing. So our, our breathing patterns are designed to influence the stress response all the time. It's why sort of that idea of panic is that hyperventilation. Like, what do we do when we jump in a pool? We hold our breath. And what do we do when we get home and we had a long day? We sigh, we exhale. So if you're constantly breathing up in your chest, if you're always up here, if you talk a lot for your job, if you're really overwhelmed and you're breathing all up in your throat, taking, you don't have to take a huge inhalation, prolonging your exhalation. A prolonged exhalation is telling the stress response, you're safe. It operates off of safety. I'm safe. So prolonging your exhalation, if you're feeling overwhelmed, has a has the ability to down-regulate cortisol in the stress response in a matter of three to four breaths. Blood sugar. Your blood sugar has a huge impact on the stress response. If you're skipping meals, if you're skipping breakfast, if you are waiting to eat the majority of your food because you're so busy and distracted the whole day that you eat 7 p.m. onward, that is a massive stressor to the stress response. That's a massive taxation on there. And so having something with protein and fat first thing in the morning within 60 minutes, stress responses, it's, it's has the potential to be leveraged in the morning to your benefit. Have something with protein and fat within 60 minutes of waking and your insulin and your cortisol can work together for the day instead of trying to sort of pick itself up off the, your heels. Yeah. So regulate your blood sugar, frequent snacks, nuts, whatever it may be. Alarms and notifications. This is my last little tidbit. Okay. If you are waking up to a blaring alarm, why do you hate yourself? Alarms are designed to be alarming. It is a form of self-hatred to me for someone to wake up with like an obnoxious alarm. It's because cortisol is generally its highest first thing in the morning. If you're jacking it up with something that's designed to alarm you, you're, it's like hitting the gas and burning out within the first half an hour of your day. So we're designed to wake up to light, a light alarm, a light app on your phone. Even if it's something that's a little bit more approachable, like birds or nature sounds, we're like use the design, the human design in your favor. Notifications on your phone. If you feel like you're reactive, what in your environment is causing you to be reactive? Does everything on your phone have a notification? It's designed. Like the psychologist that is a, that BJ Fogg that is attributed to being Silicon Valley's billionaire maker knows what he's doing. He knows how to leverage and, and attract your focus and attention. So only put notifications in your environment that need to be there. I think that's really powerful because yeah, I, because I we're mean, constantly feeling reactive. I, my alarm is, uh, the iPhone gives you a million different settings. You don't have to just go with the factory setting that it comes with, which is very alarming. Yeah. Um, so I have a much more peaceful one that gets gradually louder in a very calming way mm -hmm. um, that wakes me up. And then also I try really hard to, I mean, I'm a big meditator. So for me, I don't check my phone at all 
until I've meditated because mm-hmm. you have no idea what's going to be on your phone. There might be a headline from a news article that's there when you open exactly. your eyes. There could be, um, you know, a text message from someone when you first open your eyes. There could be a million different things that could, the moment you open your eyes, spike your energy in one way or another and and really just send your entire day in a specific direction, which might not be a positive one or a good one, or, you know, I guess we want to lean against saying a positive or good, but, uh, you know, just wake up, wake up on the, on the good side of the bed. Um, and so really it's just kind of deciding what kind of day that you want to have first and foremost, before you allow the world to filter its way in and just sitting with yourself for a few moments, at least in, in silence, that way, like you get your inner forecast first. Mm -hmm. It's not the world around you deciding and telling you what kind of day you're going to have. It's you waking up and being really quiet with yourself and internally kind of checking your temperature, checking the weather where you're at in your house, in your house, meaning your body, and and then going from there, because then you set yourself up to be in this place. It's like, okay, now I check my phone. Now I check my email. Now I see all the stuff that's going on in the world. And like, then I can respond instead of react to whatever exactly. is going on. Exactly. So really, that's just a major, major way to set yourself up for success throughout your day and keep those stress levels down. But yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Absolutely. Yes. We're constantly setting the tone. Yes. Um, okay. So I want to, like I said, be mindful of your time and everyone else's, but um, so I'll ask you one last question, which I ask everyone. And that is, what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? The best piece of advice I would give my younger self is your thoughts are not your truths. Amen. Mic drop moment. I love it. Facts and feelings. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I I really love all your insight and all of your wisdom. This is uh, the longest interview that I have done yet to date, but I just think there was so much goodness going on and so much that you had to share. And I know that not so many of us, all of us deal with stress. And Mm -hmm. so it's just really, really helpful information and guidance on, on how to get out of our head and out of our own way in a lot of senses and also, or, or stay in our head and make sense of it all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's just, it comes down to, do you have your own back or not? Yep. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on and we will, uh, we'll hopefully I'll get up to Canada and see you sometime soon. Yes. I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me. So much valuable, valuable information. So much I feel like that I learned that I didn't know. I mean, to kind of summarize it all for me, I think it's it's understanding our patterns and opening our eyes to the fact that we have patterns and not all of our patterns are working for our greater good. We've created these patterns and systems and things that we do on autopilot, but not all of them are supporting our greater good. Not all of those things are there to help us. And so understanding our emotions, understanding the difference between facts and the difference between feelings and knowing that not every feeling that we have is factual. So I think that is super helpful. And it's just that that understanding, right? So when this negative emotion pops into your head or something that's not supportive to your greater good, you can stop yourself and you can say, 
is this thought that I'm having, is it real? Is it true? Is it based in factual evidence? Or am I actually on autopilot and you know, leaning into one of the patterns that I've unknowingly created for myself that maybe isn't in my best interest. And then the last thing for me with like the biggest mic drop moment, I know I said this in in the episode, but is, you know, don't compare your 100% of your reality to 20% of someone's curated reality. Oh my God, did I connect with that? Because I fall victim to like the scroll and compare all the time. I do. Like, don't think I'm immune to it. Don't think like that I don't feel that too. Like, of course I do. I, you know, I scroll through Instagram or whatever social media I'm on and I'm like, man, this person looks so happy. This person is doing this. This person is doing that. Their relationship looks better. Their friendships look better. Their this looks better. And then like you get to this place where you're like, wait, that's not real. It's just like a tiny like fleck of their life. It's a tiny piece of their life. It's not all of their life. It's not all of their human experience. So why am I com- comparing the entirety of my own personal human experience to to some small slice of someone's pie? You know, like that's crazy. That is actually legitimately crazy. So anyway... That's those are the biggest takeaways that I had, and I and I hope that this episode was was a big light bulb moment for a lot of people, uh, and will help help you cope with your stress and and comparison and all of it. So that's that, you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, you know the drill. You can follow me on Instagram at Victoria Brown. You can follow us on our pod handle at Very Best Self. Uh, what else? Make sure you leave me five stars. Leave us five stars. Subscribe. That's really huge. So that every Tuesday when the episode drops, you're like, oh, there it is. Cool. Uh, and you can, you know, click listen and then leave a review. Uh, oh, there's one more thing. If you love this episode or any other episode, share it with somebody you love. Please, please share it with someone you love. That's all. All right, you guys have the most amazing day. No matter where you are on your journey, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. I'll talk to you later. See you next Tuesday. Bye. VB out.